From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, The Biz Sherpa. I'm grateful that you joined me today for our podcast. We have a real special opportunity to be at Little Giant Ladder Systems with Art Wing, the son of the founder, Hal Wing's son. And we're really in for a treat today. We're going to get some demonstration of the product, and we're going to hear a little bit of the history and hear some keys to success in business ownership. I'm grateful, Art, that you'd accommodate us. And wow, what a setting for this. (laughs) Well, thanks for coming by. And we go way back a long time, and it's good to see you again. It's great to see you. It's great to be with you. This is quite the studio. You know, one of the keys that I have always noticed for Little Giant Ladder success has been the ability to demonstrate product. And you're taking it to the next level with these sound studios. Yeah, we actually started a tad before COVID. And um, COVID basically entered a Zoom world, which we didn't like the fact that 90% of Zoom is people looking up somebody's nose on a desktop camera. (laughs) So we tried to make it more of an event. So ours is completely interactive. Everyone's mic'd up. We have a software engine that drives it. But uh, um, we have done no traveling since the entire thing and then just paid cash for all of the studios out of the proceeds. That's pretty cool. You know, I remember the story of the startup of this business. Your dad innovated the product, but he would take it to county fairs and he would travel and throw it in the back of a station wagon. Yeah, he did. I think you went with him on a few of those. What was that like for demonstrating? Well, I did it as a job for a long time and I managed that group, but... um, yeah, I remember uh, actually going to the, so the National Hardware Show used to be in, at o, in Chicago at uh, McCormick Place. And so we didn't have the money to actually ship our products. We didn't have the money to fly. So I remember you had a Pinto station wagon and we loaded up with ladders. And basically you'd have enough to, we'd always get a 10 by 10 booth. And um so that would be your display, and then the object would be, while you're demonstrating it, take orders from exhibitors. So when you walked out, you could just walk out with an empty booth and go home kind of a thing. Wow. It was just kind of a cool thing for me because I think I was 15 or 16, and now I was probably 14 or 15. Anyway, there was a, a go-kart company there, and he actually ended up trading a ladder for a go-kart, so we brought back a, 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 <laughs> so little, a, go-kart. a little go-kart in the back of the That was your first paycheck, the go-kart? Yeah, that was... Yeah, I'd actually been working there. I started when I was 12. So Really? So I, I started with my father. Uh, we began imp- as an importer, and then the Deutschmark devalued like crazy, and so it caused us to become a manufacturer. And he just basically, through chop saws and stuff from Sears and different places, uh, got some used equipment, and we created it, and I helped him get that shop floor off the ground, and, and we started from there. And... Uh, but yeah, initially uh, what happened is he brought a sample over from Europe because we were an importer. Um, and he went to maybe 50, 60 friends, showed it to them. They said, absolutely, I'll take one kind of a thing. And uh, what ended up happening, he brought his first container in and went back to the same 50, 60 people. And they're like, oh, that'd be for a painter. That's too much money for me. So this is back when oh, ladders were like wow. $29 and he's trying to sell it for $200. <laughs> and so he sold none of those to any of those people. Wow. And so he did, he did venture on to try uh, a trade show. And 
basically formulated a demonstration. It would stop people. You go into a mass close. You would actually take orders. Um, and um, so demonstration really became a key here. Yeah. Because if you're trying to say, hey, there's a ladder. Yeah. And somebody else has a ladder for $29 and you want $200. What's the difference? Yeah, the demonstration is actually so effective. Like most people have been to a trade show before and you just kind of, if it's a home show, you're just making a beeline. So even when it was dead, we would like just start demonstrating to nobody and then they would just stop and then you just launch into what you're looking at and it would be your demonstration. So they, they just. So they would attract they the attention. After, they wouldn't leave after that. And then typically there'd be. 40, 50 people out there, and you'd write up two or three of them, and then there'd be scragglers from the last one, and you'd say, basically start off with, I know you didn't get to see the whole thing, so let me show it to you. And then you just start from fresh start for over the again. new people who were coming up, and it just, it would go crazy. So we ended up doing specialty shows. I mean, we did like funeral director shows, which seems weird, but most funeral directors actually own their own property and take care of their own property, and they have good steady uh, cash flow. <laughs> and they, and they love- Can't the, avoid death and, and taxes. They, and they love right? good products. Uh, we did those type of trade shows. We did industry trade shows, and we did uh, just about every home show and county fair you can think of. At one point, we were doing upwards of 500 shows a year. So is it true, the rumor I've always heard, that because your mom's from Switzerland, if yeah. I have that right, she, she could yodel? And your dad could yodel a little bit too? Could no, they get my mom people? was actually from Germany. Oh, my, Germany, okay. My dad is kind of a strange perfectionist. So uh, before he passed, when they would go back to Germany, most people would say, um, so your wife's from America and you're from Germany. So when he, he took something so he, up, he would perfect it. He spoke his, German His really German well. was flawless. And on one of their trips, and we did have a home in Switzerland, he, he really dug yodeling. Uh, and he took it up and became super proficient at it and just really random stuff. I just remember when we- But he could yodel at a show and get people to oh, come, yeah. couldn't he? <laughs> if, if, if times got bad enough, he could do that. But uh, <laughs> I remember when we, we lived, uh, when I was about 10, we lived in Europe for a couple of years, and that's where we ran across the ladder for idea. And so I was in middle school, and one of the first things he did was like he enrolled our entire family like into the talent show. So I'm like, we're up there with these like nerdy. I like the sound of music. <laughs> we're like up there with like these nerdy uh, European clothes on with all these kids from Utah and the USA. We didn't know, started singing and doing, it was just like goofy. I'm still going through counseling for that. But, <laughs> <laughs> Trying to recover. But uh, no, he was, yeah, he was, he was a really a visionary guy and uh, grew it. Um, what happened when we began manufacturing was we actually just still bought a couple of key components. Um, so the, the original German painting contractor guy that we got the license from would know how many we're producing and we just amped up the royalty. So he was making exactly the same as selling it to us, oh, okay. but we actually benefited by not shipping air and it right. worked out you really well. Right, you didn't have to well. do all that. So yeah, it was good. It, it, and it, it kind of dovetailed into innovation. So that company is still around and they're in Germany and we actually have more market share in Germany than they do. And the weird thing is it's, it's being run by an accountant. And so to this day, they still have exactly the same literature and the same ladder. They've never improved on it once. Wow. They do have a website, and as soon as the web, as soon as the web takes off, they're going to launch it. Right. <laughs> they're like in the Stone Ages. So uh, we continue patenting and improving and staying relevant. And, uh, yeah, it's always been part of our DNA. And I think that's part of it, to be able to demonstrate it really makes the sale. Now, 
Your family did at one point sell the business. This is back in the 80s, wasn't it? Right. Sold the business. Your dad had built it up to a certain level. and Yeah, if I can remember most everything my dad did, it was, they were all great decisions. But in the mid-80s, um, he brought on two partners that were, said, we're going to take um, some capital and do, you know, invest with you. And I think it hit him later at a board meeting that two guys can outvote one. <laughs> so they took their capital back out and yeah. they said, we want to go and sell it to a VC company. Anyway, long story short, it ended up the VC company ended up being a Ponzi scheme and uh, oh, they went yeah. down taking, uh, they owned General Electric like a, a credit, like $160 million. And my dad actually had a clause in there that he could not cash or redeem any of his stocks for a year. So he basically just watched it go broke. The sheriff came, uh, locked it up. So um, I think towards the end of 85, we set ourselves up a dealer and we just bought like all of the inventory and we moved to another building. And then in March 6th of 86, we bought the assets at a sheriff's sale. And then we started again from scratch. Um, what and, was that like? What was your role in that at that point in time? That on that particular time, I was actually um, in the customer service department. I mean, I, I've done, I set up the shop with my dad. I've I've run uh, general labor. I've done our quality control program. Been the customer service VP of sales, uh, president, CEO, chairman. Um, I've sourced all of our international partners. I've sourced all of our international factories, um, and so. So you've had a key role in it. What was it like working for your father? I mean, sometimes family-owned businesses kind of take on a negative connotation. People think, well, they can't be successful, but I'm sitting here today, and, and this really says, no, it, they can be, but they what can was it be. like? What was it like, and how was that an advantage and maybe a disadvantage at times? There was an advantage in that he had a really good sense for business, and my mom actually ran the books, and she was wired like Doug, um, very conservative. <laughs> like um, and so that was a good basis to, to grow on. But I will tell you that some of the biggest arguments we ever had were like, we have a perfectly good telex machine. Why do we need it? What is a fax machine? We don't need that. I mean, it was like a good, good week of strife. And I finally just went out and bought it, and then they paid me back later. Same thing with PCs. We had an IBM 360 in a room to air condition it. And he's like, why, why does everybody need one on their desk? And so I went out and bought PCs for everyone. So we, we had some disagreements on that. We've had disagreements. But you were as visionary as he was then to be able to yeah. keep keep it moving with the technology. So, yeah, I, I've done more of uh, moving forward. Like uh, when the Internet was just taking off, I mean, I bought Ladders.com for t uh, $12. <laughs> the last money, I think the last thing we turned down was and one. And if you don't know, that's the web address for this company. <laughs> right. And we turned, I just turned down $1.2 million because the, the employment agency, a company wants to buy it. So, but we're not selling it. So I did that. And plus at the same time, I bought like every other reverse uh, domain you could buy. So right now we have about a hundred domains that are all pointed in different directions. Uh, we're the number one uh, unaided brand awareness as far as ladders. We're the number one ladder search on Google um, and uh, the number one ladder at Amazon. And so, yeah, uh, I did a lot of that stuff. Um, we wrote an infomercial that was is wildly yeah, successful. Yeah, let's talk about that. So yeah. you go back, you buy the business back in the 80, 85, 86, right. and you're starting from scratch. 
Right. And so you had really one product in a couple different sizes, right? Yeah. One ladder that might look like something it's like, like the one that, on the staircase. One yeah. yeah. So most people know what it is, and um, uh, it was a one-trick pony. We actually had it in four sizes, same grade. That's all we had, and uh, we had an engineer let some IP run out on it. So I think it was the fall of uh, or spring of two thousand. There was a full-page ad on the back of USA Today that basically had exact knockoff of our product at half the price. And we still had a year left on our patents, but if you know the way patent litigation works, you're only entitled to the damages. So by the time I would have got my day in court, they would have been expired anyway, so there really was no point. So we wrote an infomercial because we had learned from the shows that if you move the ladder, you move ladders. Um, right, if you're able to demonstrate, right. you're able to get attention. So we just Why? carried that over. Yeah, but that was a big leap of faith in infomercials. They're not very successful. They're not very successful. They, an infomercial typically will run 18 months, then it's fried, and then you'll be in the closeout or the as seen on TV bin at uh, Walmart or someone like that. The weird thing about this one is my dad's passion really came across on it. And, I, and we had some good talent as well. He was the most difficult talent I worked with and the most expensive because I had to pay him a royalty. Your dad? Yeah. And then I had to continue paying my royalty. I to hope my mom. on some of the B roll we're able to get some of your dad because his demonstrations. Oh, we can give you the whole show. You can okay. take snippets of it. Yeah. Okay. So, but the long story short, this is we just entered our 18th year, and January was the probably higher than any uh, infomercial that's in the space right now. But when we did it, yes. Um, You've heard of betting the farm. Uh, he had a little farm down in Springville, and right. he literally uh, he mortgaged it and gave me a million dollars and said, so he bet the farm, and out of that I had to write it, produce it, distribute it, and hire all the talent, and it was, it, it was and continues to be a great success, even to the point where... Um, so you still use some of that it's still in running. your information? It's, it's still, still running. running. So last year... So last year I made a little bit on it. I'm not looking to get greedy, but last year we ran 12,000 hours of TV and made a couple hundred thousand dollars on it. So it's just free advertising. Right. So it drives people to the retail locations. Right. And the brand as well. So um, there's some knockoffs out there. They're inferior. They're clunky. There's no innovation in them. And you can stand in front of those guys and they will say it's a little giant because what it is, it's like... Uh, you don't call them facial tissues, it's a Kleenex. <laughs> Little Giant right. is the category is the brand name. On, on a telescoping articulating ladder. So how do you do that? How do you create that brand? Was that brand created before the infomercial, or did the infomercial help brand the company, brand uh, the product? Yeah, we, we had laid the groundwork, and there was a lot of, so there's a lot of pent-up uh, demand. Also off an infomercial for every 10 people that view it and buy, I mean, every... 10 people that view it, only one will buy. So 10 are going away saying, I need to get my hands on it, I wanna see it, and so there's natural curiosity. And it'll actually, it was compelling enough to, it was compelling enough that, um, uh, that they wouldn't buy another ladder until they could afford, they actually save up for a little giant. Um, and we're still selling at the same price point. I mean, our average order sale is like at $600 right now on a, this loaded TV ladder, which is just unheard of. We wrote the infomercial really well. What happens when you typically write an infomercial is you, you drive it to a call center. So we were driving it to 15,000 seats, and that's how the call volume. Wow. We were buying a million dollars. We bought a million dollars worth of media a week for two years straight. Wow. And made that, money doing it. That's betting the farm. To, yeah. <laughs> but but we, 
we wrote the show well enough that uh, most every infomercial, the call time for the guy to walk through and explain the deal and finish the selling um, is between three and six minutes. And our average time from when they rang in to where they hung up and they'd paid was less than 90 seconds. Are you kidding? Because they were sold before, they just were calling to buy, they weren't calling to be sold. So I'm gonna call Hal now the king of demonstration. <laughs> he, yeah. So that was probably the smartest move is to hire him. Oh, he was he, your costliest move, he, but he was probably he, your best demonstrator. He had the passion, and you, you can show some of the, the clips. I mean, he had the ability, just a super sincere, great sense of humor. And, and he just look right into the camera and look into your soul, and you know we get. But he was trying to save his life too. He had bet the farm, and this was a really critical moment for him. But after the first one, he was pretty much set for life. <laughs> and then there was three more on top of that. So we've continued to refresh with innovation. So let's talk about branding. I'm looking at the carpet here. I'm looking yeah. at the little giant name on the ladders. It's in orange. Yeah. And then your first ladder, some of the key component parts are in orange. What's the significance of orange? Orange was just, um, you know what, the original one from Europe had orange plastic parts on it and we were buying the plastic parts and so we used that. Um, it, it turned out that nobody was using any ladder company to brand or even put their name on it and so that established us. You know, it's a lot of green stuff, so we've invented a proprietary fiberglass system. It's 25% lighter than anybody else's and 25% stronger and actually getting the patent on the color green so it's, it separates us again. Which is unique and, and innovative in and of itself. Yeah, I think the last good color patent was like Coca-Cola. You have Coca-Cola red, oh, but they don't okay. do it. They don't so red. we got little giant green. Right, now. so if you see one on a CenturyLink truck or a Comcast or a Verizon or anyone anywhere, it's a little giant. So. That's pretty cool. So you can identify your product from a mile away, which is right. great branding. Yeah. So, so yeah, we we have always tried so to stay loyal to the brand. who's the king of branding here, though? I mean, right, if your dad can de demonstrate, who in the company really came up with keeping the name, keeping the orange? I mean, where did this brand sense of brand awareness come from? So I, we have great people and we have a great team, um, but I would say I've always been passionate about it and have the long view. So, I mean, I'm doing an infomercial and Costco is saying, we wanted in our stores yesterday. And I'm like, and it was really ticking off the uh, the buyer because I just said, not now. Why would I sell you and have you undercut me and have my TV not work? I need to innovate a ladder. So for three years, he chased me around the globe trying to buy it. <laughs> and the weird thing about the principle of scarcity, uh, the more a buyer is, they're not used to being told no. They're used to like having people sell their souls. Right, uh, right. What price and they, how They wanted how it many? worse. Yeah. So they just kept coming and coming and coming. And so we eventually... We have enough innovation. We do a really good job with what's called channel chatter. So um, where most people have one ladder, if you put it in Costco or in Amazon and then Home Depot, uh, if one of those accounts gets a cold, they all sneeze and they all call you on a discount. But we configure each ladder unique for every channel. And so they can do whatever they want. And when someone calls, which they don't, you just say, well, that's not your ladder, so you don't need to worry about it. So it, Wow. So I, I've always had the long view on that, the brand. You know, we've had offers of, you know, hey, we'll, we'll buy a couple million, piece, million pieces, but you got to drop the price 40% and whatnot. And the, we don't join the race to the bottom on pricing. So, so we, you've never done that. No. You've stood alone and here's what it does and here's why it's... Right. Worth it. Yeah, you. and if you can yeah. add enough value, it'll add, you know, the, the brand equity, our brand equity uh, uh, adds about 
it commands a 13% premium just on the name, and then you start throwing innovation on it, and then it just really goes nuts. So, so on your original ladder, I'm trying to remember on that infomercial, how many different uses can you get out of that ladder? So I'm um, giving you a quiz here. A slogan that I came up with uh, is buy one and get 33 free, because I did 33, 34, 34, 34 times. So this ladder, can we yeah, just come over yeah, here sure. for a minute? So this ladder, in its infancy days, because I see other innovations from the original, right. did 33 things, 34 right. things. It had different locks. So this is a rock lock. That's a different invention. This one you can see back there, that's actually the same ladder, and it has rapid locks. So it locks differently so we can give it to different customers. And this is actually the same ladder, and it's fiberglass for electricians. And so we have it in probably 20 or 30 different versions. And so when someone's buying a ladder, it's not, they can't compare it to anything else. There's nothing else right. unless somebody's copied your product. Yeah. They can buy cheap ones and throw them away and hope they don't fall off kind of a thing. But, uh, and we're happy to let them do that. Um, so yeah. do you mind showing us some of the things that you've been able to do with it? Yeah, some How of the, you've innovated and some, changed it? Some of the key things that we've done that have caused a tipping point is one of them was this, uh, this extension ladder business. So we got invited to a, a telecom conference and... We were flattered, um, and we went, and they basically said, we want lighter ladders because we're having uh, like $75,000 per occurrence in injuries, which I thought it was like falling and stuff like that, but it was actually strains and sprains when they pull them off the ladder racks. Oh, okay, because, these are because like, of the weight. These are like 80, 90 pounds, uh, and this one actually weighs like 62 pounds. And so... It helped solve that problem, and it also helped them make their workforce uh, more diverse because they could hire more women. Because there's no way that most women can lift a 90 foot, a 90 pound ladder off. Oh, okay. So we came up with this. It's actually our own rail. It's lighter. We've done some stuff. We've double pulled it on the side, so it's easier to pull. Most of them have them going up the middle. We have our own locking system. Yeah. So show us how that works. If yeah. You don't mind. It just basically goes up. You go past the rung and it just locks down automatically. Um, we also have a level on the side. So you're supposed to be at a 73, uh, 75 and a half degree angle. If you're too steep, it'll come back on you. If you're too shallow, it'll kick out. So you haven't just set it there and you're 75 and a half. And then we have another one that's here on the bottom. So the number one reason for ladder uh, accidents is overreaching. And so if you're off, on a 24-foot ladder, I think if you're off an inch and a half at the bottom, you're off 18 inches at the top. Wow. So if you even think about going that way, it's going to pull you to You're going to go. Yeah. So the other thing we didn't like is if you notice on step ladders, all step ladders have to have an uh, inch of flare for every foot they go up kind of a thing. But on an extension right. ladder, you can go up to 40 feet and they can be perfectly straight. And we didn't think that was right, so we invented what was called a sumo stance. And this actually... This actually adds 600% stability. 600%? So you could actually, I think we've hung, gone to the top. Let me, it does do more than that. So you went to this. So yeah, you could actually go to the top and hang 150 pounds off the side and it will not move kind of a thing. But the other thing that's important is that so overreaching thing. climb up here and test you out. Well, hang on that. a second. Okay. Let's make sure it's level because you do also have the ability to level it. From side to side. Yeah. So if I'm on uneven So this is a little low here. Yeah. So we'll make it level there. So you could have it level or whatnot. 
And we're pretty close there, and we're pretty close. Going the wrong way. Keep going. I don't think. There we go. We're getting there. Yeah, you can climb that. All right. So I can go up and check this out. Now there's a click when I stand on it. What's that? Well, what that is called? It's called a ground cue. So I can get up here and I can, I can reach out here and, and not worry about it right. sliding on. It's super stable. So the ground cue is you come down, everyone's missed the stair in their house going either up or down and then fall on their face. Oh, the, the ground okay. crew basically just lets you know that you're on the bottom step and it's safe to get off. Uh, we had one customer that uh, I think a third of their accidents were people like climbing here and here and they just get a head injury for falling backwards. Really? So, so yeah, that's the ground cue. Um, have cage so ladders. You, when you did this, let's just stop for the, this one for just a second. So you went to the tele... Um, yeah, so yeah. I'll teleconference and, or the, te the uh, telephone industry. Right. So we went what to that meeting and we were flattered that we were invited and they said we want something and we said fine and I think 35 days later they had a prototype and, and we got all the business. We took it from everyone and it wasn't until after that that we found out that all ladder manufacturers were invited. Um, but the two biggest ones had stopped coming because they would come every year and say, yeah, we'll get you something, and they would never do anything. So you follow through. So we just That's do another it. Yeah. key, follow yeah. through. Yeah, you got to... And you captured the whole telecom industry? We're on our way to getting the lion's share of it. So, yeah, it's... Wow. It's, it's a, and the nice thing, too, is the, it changed our whole revenue position, too, as well, because this is the ladder that you have at your home. Right. I mean, it's going to be, it's 300 pound rated, it's commercial, it's strong enough that you know, we like to say that when you pass away, your kids are going to fight about it over the wheel. But <laughs> they from, all borrow it. They all from a revenue so. stream, I only got you once. This has two things. First of all, all of those crews only work with a uh, safety inspector. So they're always looking over their shoulder and being trained and whatnot. And... Every, depending on the company, every four to six years, they take everything out of service, destroy it, and replace it. Wow. And, uh, and they go upwards of $1,000 a ladder, and they'll wow. pay the difference, where the competitors are 400 or 300 or something like so that. So this is your kind of industrial innovation that really took you uh, really deep into industries that you hadn't penetrated before. Yeah, we did a lot of stuff like on uh, normal ones. The ones they were using had a, a swedge that came through the rung. And we have a robotics, and I have some B-roll on that for you too. But um, we actually made it to where you could actually take a rung out if it got damaged and replace in the field, not have to replace the whole ladder. Wow. So um, there's companies that do cool. that. What kind of innovations have you done for at home for the, the DIY people? So lately, uh, the coolest thing um, is what's called the King Combo. And this is the 2.0 version. You and I looked at one a minute ago, and remember I had to push both those things? Yeah. Well, it's been 60 days, so now it's just one hand. Uh, <laughs> so, you don't let one of your innovations last longer than 60 days. <laughs> well, you can do it too fast and you'll lose money, but uh, I like to keep it in a drawer like Intel keeps the next 15 chips in the drawer until they're ready. <laughs> okay. So up until a while ago, I mean, a lot of people would just lean an a stepladder against the wall, and OSHA says you can't do that because what happens is you can be pivoting on that foot and it's oh. not safe. Uh, we designed a way that it locks in there, and this is a wall pad, and you can actually use um, you can actually use it uh, straight up against the wall, just like that. And then it has what's called a, 
Oh, I don't even know what it's called now. <laughs> it's a, a corner. Yeah. What is that called? Have you been here long enough? Rotating wall pad. The wall pad. Okay, thank okay, you. Rotating wall, wall pad. So, and what this has is it has a V on it. So that's ideal for, and you'll be able to see this in the footage from the shooting straight down. You can get right on a corner. You can get flat on a wall. So I can get there. Yeah, and I don't have to worry about it. You can shake for all it. your work. I can work. come up here, and I can take care of any project. You're super to. close to your work. It'll also do an inside corner the same way. So it's super innovative. Little giants have been known to be. Um, $400 pieces, and we are now an exclusive partner for Lowe's. It's in all of their stores. And um, uh, so it's just flying off the shelf. This is priced typically between 120 and 180 depending on whether you get an aluminum or fiberglass. And then uh, you put this away. Uh, yeah, it is the And that allows you to reach a lot more of a market than you could before. Yeah, it's just, uh, is there's no advertising with it. It just flies off the shelf. So you can activate that again with one hand, <coughs> and you don't have to stop there. You can just keep going all the way up, and you have an extension ladder built in as well. And we have different sizes of it. The so, nice thing is you also have the, the quad pod at the top, so I can now in an extension ladder position do this inside, outside, inside, or straight on. Wow. And it has places for you to uh, get the other ladder out of the way. To put the tools there for you. Wow. That's pretty cool. So, so that's the one that's been selling just like crazy. So. so this is one that I don't need. I can walk into the store and buy it, but if I want to learn how to use it, I can just scan yeah, we the do. video on the side. We, um, we have the, we're kind of the gold standard for assets. Um, so we have thousands of hours of uh, videography on all of our products. But yes, on all of our products, we'll have a... Um, that's right here. Oh, you'll have a barcode. And basically, if you point your smartphone at that, it'll queue up the instructional video on what it'll do as far as features and what, what do you need to do to be safe. So and it'll give you a safety training, but it'll to, also show you how to click that up. And, and, right. and it's super light, um, but super strong. So a ladder is not a ladder is not a ladder. Right. It comes a little giant. Okay. And then we've done simple things too, like um, you'll notice that most step ladders. Most step ladders have a rung right here. And the only purpose for that rung is to hold the sticker that says, do not climb on this rung. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually okay. the gateway to standing on here, which you're not supposed to do. Oh. So, so we, we took them out on all of our step ladders, and we actually got the patent on that as well. So, um, so you really end up with a standing platform. And you're kind of in an enclosed space. Yeah. Very comfortable, very nice. Wow. That's pretty neat. We make the world's tallest step ladder. We, yeah, we're, we're branching out into a lot of different things. So, so why all the innovation? I mean, you did the, the infomercial, and you lived pretty good life from that, it seems like. And yeah. you still run it today. So what is it that, that comes back to you? Why, why the fiberglass? Why the innovations in the industrial market? What, what's your concern? So we've, even when we were selling a one-trick pony, we always pride ourselves on... Um, doing things differently than everyone else. I like to play apples and oranges. I don't want to play the apple game because when you start talking tonnage and, and commodity, it's just a race to the bottom. So the innovation allows you to um, obviously over-exceed uh, your customers' expectations. It allows you to create margins and price points that are sustainable for longer, and it gives you the marquee. I mean, 
I don't know how many Fortune 100 and 500, 1,000 companies that were at the top of the speed dial list from Exxon and a bunch of other ones. If they have a ladder problem, they call us and they say, we have this, can you solve it? And we'll solve it and they'll have a prototype in two weeks and then we'll build it for them. I, I kind of laugh because when I followed up with you to make sure we were okay to come, to this, you said, remember, Craig, you get what you pay for. And I'm not paying Art at all for this wonderful studio, and he's let, letting us use it free today. But anyway, you really say that they get what they pay for. Yeah. Really, and so you're trying to distinguish, you're really about preserving margins and, and that. And has that, I'm sure that's led to the sustainability of your company. Yeah, the sweet spot that we're in, um, is that we have really super innovative products and we're now at a point where they're priced as it's 10, 12 bucks next to the cheap thing next to it. So it's innovative, it's, it's just like a no-brainer. I think this year on Black Friday, uh, and this shouldn't happen with Lowe's with no advertising, but we were the number three and the number seven most bought items in the store. Are you kidding? So it's just, wow. it just rocked, it emptied everything. and. And now we're dealing with port congestion, and trucking, <laughs> and everything else. But uh, yeah, it's it's really taking off. So great. What are some of the greatest lessons now that you learned from your father? I know it's got to be hard to work for family in a business, and it sounds like you did well because you were able to stand up and still continue with the vision you had at the same time marrying to his vision. But what did you learn from him? What did you take? Because he's now passed away, but what is his legacy in your life that helped you be successful as the CEO and, and, yeah. and chairman of this company? Well, one of the things you used to tell our salespeople all the time is you can tell the customer anything you want as long as it's the truth. And it makes a big difference. Um, I've always strived, and he, he lived this rule as well, is under-promise and over-deliver. Um, I mentor quite a few new business people, and it's frustrating for me because there is no short, uh, uh, short silver bullet for creating a business. So there's no shortcut to success. So these people that I'm mentoring, they're 20-somethings, and their parents have been successful, and, and they'll look at me and say, you're successful. I'm like, yeah, I'm into it 40 years. <laughs> and your parents were successful. How long did they do it? Oh, they did it 35 years. And their parents were, and so unless you're creating Snapchat or, Snapchat or your last name Zuckerberg, there really are no unicorns out there. You have to be committed to have a long view, begin with the end in mind and just stay the course and just stay to your values and not, I mean, if you let the market, uh, the, the, that basically becomes the tail wagging the dog and you're right. just running the business according to their dictates and pretty soon you've got all kinds of chaos. So you have to stick to your values. Um, this is not something I necessarily learned from my father, but I think the number one thing that businesses fail and do a bad job at is they don't say no to enough deals. Because you're in business, you want to grow. A deal's a deal, right? But there are bad right. deals. You should pass on the bad deals and then figure out how to come back and make it a good deal. Because but that's a scary area. So I want to spend a few minutes on this. Why, why were you able to say no? Because that's scary. You have to come back and say, hey, we could have had this big order, but we said no. And, I don't and know how why. Do you, how do you explain that? I don't know why. That's the way I've always been wired. Um, because I'm looking down the road 10 years and if I have something that's at a $200 price point and somebody wants to buy a million of them at $99, yeah, I'll sell a million of them, but then I'm stuck with a product that's 99 and it's a thin margin and the volume dissipates, then you have no business. So I'm taking the long view. 
And even when I was running the sales force and stuff like that, you know, people would come back and say, hey, I got, a, I got an, an order for like three truckloads to this new customer. And um, <clears throat> I said, well, I want you to call them back and send them a half a truckload. Uh, and, you know, they're a little perplexed because that's counterintuitive to selling. What I wanted them to do is burn through that half a tra- truckload and then get greedy and say, okay, we want a truckload and then burn through that and get it. The worst thing you can do is deliver three truckloads and then have it sit on your dock and have, you know, just be saying these things suck because right, they, they won't can't turn. sell them fast enough. Yeah, yeah. So I've always, you know, I, I try and get the turns right, get the mojo right. Um, we've done that with our international. We're in, I think, 28 countries. And we do the same thing on their first order. We'll sell them more, uh, less than they need. It's typically pre-sold before it hits their shore, and then greed kicks in. And then when they do start ordering large orders, they'll order two truckloads, and they're, they're on board and they're fans. What happens is, it, it, since they're having to walk by it every day in the, in the warehouse, it now becomes a priority of, like, let's get this stuff moved, and then they'll blow through it, and then they do the math on it, and then greed kicks in, and they're like, okay, let's order let's four containers. <laughs> okay, so. so it's kind of the scarcity factor, yeah. too. I like how you've tried to preserve the margin because so often it's easy to get in business and try to do price per pound. You can walk into one store and buy ground beef at this price per pound and you can go down the street and get it right. for half that. But what's the, what's the difference? It's the quality of the beef. Yeah. And so how do you know that? And if you don't price distinguish yourself, you can't make that differential. Right. And I think that's the beauty of being able to demonstrate and then be able to preserve the price. It wasn't out of greed. That's allowed you to innovate because it's costly to innovate. I right. don't know if you're willing to say how much, what percentage of your budget you spend on R&D and innovation, but. It's upwards of 20%. Um, wow. Uh, we, we spend a lot on advertising and we spend a lot on R&D. I think we have eight engineers in house and our, our marketing staff's probably around 20, 25 people which we do all kinds of social platforms and everything else. But uh, yeah, um, the other thing too that is a byproduct that's helped us stay disciplined and why I had the long view is everything that we sell is also a possible, it's very litigious. And so you don't want to be selling something. Uh, if You'll notice there are not a lot of 99 or $9.99 uh, step stools in here. Right. This, we don't get into that space. That step stool business likes a 70% margin so if you've taken a $9, $10 item and you're now down to $3 and it's going to toss you a buck fifty to make and you, so you made a buck fifty on it and the first loss that you have with a $150,000 SIR has wiped out a lot of step stools. Wow. So you have to kind of, it, it's, it's good business, it's good practice, but it's also, um, we get uh, sued probably... 90% less than anybody le- in, less in the industry. And and has it always been that way? I mean, it before you been. started some of these safety innovations? Yeah, because even the first one was a 300-pound rated ladder that you had, so it was commercial grade. So we, we don't get the suits they have. All of our suits are typically uh, um, nuisance lawsuits. Somebody wants to, some, some places around the world, they feel like they won the lottery if they fall off. So, But uh, we've never lost a lawsuit either. So... Um, uh, we get much, much better insurance rates and premiums than anybody else. Wow, So that's great. So now you learned a lot from your dad. You've also run a business where you've had uh, siblings in the business too. What can you pass along as secrets to getting along with family, but also being able to achieve the objectives of the business and not get caught up 
in the family business at work? Yeah, it, it is really difficult because uh, when, when family members are here or can come, there is, there's always seems to be this little tiny bit of entitlement and it's fun to throw the name around. I know that my... But uh, I think your dad was against that. I think he made you do probably work for less than other people I worked and for do less jobs. And I you... had to work harder. Yeah. And that kind of debunked the myth. I, I never called him dad once at work ever. I called him Hal because uh, I wanted to be like, hey, dad, will you do this for me? It just sounds so <laughs> nepotism. But no, I, I think uh, if you were going to do it, First of all, I just say there's easier way to do business than that. It sounds like his pipe dream, but there are a lot of conflicts that goes with you. And then it doesn't leave you all the time because it's always top of mind. But probably the best way to manage it is to give them enough space and then have uh, KPI or key performance indicators to where they, they have to hit certain marks. And um, most all of our people have an earnout based on their productivity. So if they win, we win. It's it, we share with them. Oh, okay. So that avoids having to f- treat people with favorites based on the name. Right. If you can't sell, you're not going to make anything. Or if you can't perform in your space, you're not going to you're not going to get the rewards. So I know your dad at one point had sold this. I don't know. It's because the partners were kind of wanting to sell, and, and then you bought it back. And through a lot of hard work, you lived through that period of time. Uh, what was your vision and how, how did you adopt a vision for the next 20 to 30 years as you grew this business? Um, really, it's just one day at a time and just looking at the opportunities um, uh, and just not living in the present. So just always kind of shooting. Um, it's, it's kind of a dangerous lifestyle because I live it that way myself and I probably should go to counseling because I've always lived for <laughs> when I get this, I'll be happy. And then I said something else and I said, that's just how I'm wired. Right. So I'm not the most content uh, business person. I'm, get, I'm learning how to be mellow, but I've always had that drive to, you know, whatever's status quo is not enough. I, I, I had a, U, a UK uh, partner yesterday said that uh, one of their customers said, uh, you have the right to push every open door in our factory and in their stores. And so I've never heard that term before, but yeah, you should, you should definitely be, uh, my dad used to say, if you, you know, if you aim for the stars and you miss, you're probably still going to hit the moon. So, but that's better than not having a goal at all. I, I think that's great. So what about going into the next generation? I mean, you made a good transition from the first generation to the second generation. Uh, I know recently you had a transaction on the business. Why did you decide not to pass it to a third generation? Well, um, so the, I did a lot of work on it, and I've, it's probably been, um, I had to rebuild the build business from when my dad had it because he lived, he basically had uh, a business that didn't have a lot of EBITDA in it because he, he lived a different lifestyle. And when he passed, I we never took any EBITDA, uh, dividends, we didn't take anything, and we just poured everything back in it so we could start building EBITDA. But um, w- we've just uh, just completely changed and just kept pushing. But uh, just there's a, there's a big element of just measuring things. Uh, you know, he used to also say that which is measured is improved. So um, when we went through this transaction, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty arduous. I mean, it's like it was a killer three years and the very last two months was a big deal to find the right partner, find the right agreement. So um, 
But the thing that they, we spent probably less than, well, we spent zero time on saying, them saying, can you beef up your finances? Because we, we measure every vertical on every SKU, on every product, on every day, on every month. And so wow. we know exactly where we're at. So it was easy for them. The reason I, I moved away and went to a third, uh, not didn't embrace the third generation, uh, one of the Wall Street banks, uh, their number is they have third generation businesses that are failing uh, about 97% of the time. Wow, that's huge. That's it, a big thing. It is right? huge, and it's something you have to deal with. And so when I got to that crossroads, you know, um, and, and it's not really the third generation's fault. I mean, uh, I can tell you to this day, I've not had a peanut butter sandwich since 1980 because we didn't have any money and we ate peanut butter sandwiches like five days a week. <laughs> so I've never had another peanut butter sandwiches. But you raise a family and uh, you vacation in Hawaii, you live in nicer homes because it, it's changed. And that's, the, that's their starting point. So um, a lot of times with the third generation, when they come into the business, it's not where's my office, it's where's my corner office. Uh, so <laughs> okay. um, uh, the, the 3% that make it, I think are very, very good companies and strong, but it's just not something I wanted to do. We also had a unique... Uh, uh, our CEO has a small uh, ownership position. My sister and brother had an ownership position. And I just started, again, beginning with the end in mind, how do, we, how do you unwind it? So there had to be a crystallization event. And we found the right partners. It's great. They love the legacy. They're, they're actually from the Midwest. They're not like New York uh, slick guys. They're just really great guys. They, they love the legacy of the company. And... Uh, it's been a really good partner, and uh, they're actually looking at doing bigger and better things than we were doing before. And uh, it's nice to be part of that because I think you stayed in for some of the yeah some of, to to keep innovating and keep growing the business. I'll be in three to five years. The thing that one of the things that I'm most pr proud of about this company, which is when you consider we've had times where we've grown 100 percent, and we've had times where we've grown 600 percent. Um, we've never taken any outside capital. It's all been financed out of cash flow. Wow, that's amazing. So it was a tightrope. There's, there's a big lesson in there. Yeah, yeah. and it's a tightrope at times to yeah, be able to Most people do can't that. tell the difference between cash flow and profit. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a really key cash to understand. Yeah, yeah. You, if, you don't have the, if you don't have the means to operate, um, I'm in a little different financial position than I was 25 years ago. And... Uh, uh, you know, my dad used to say, working with a bank is like uh, an umbrella. If it's raining, they're not going to sell you one. If you don't need one and it's sunny, they're going to hand you umbrellas all day long. <laughs> so I have more people offer me stuff now, and I'm like, I don't need it. So right. you have to make sure that you don't run out of cash. You anticipate and you understand um, growing too slow will kill you because inflation will eat it up and growing too fast will gobble your cash and it'll kill you just the same as well. So there has to be a balance. There's a balance in there. I think that's really wise advice. So why would, wasn't it hard to sell at the third generation? I mean, it's your baby. So how do you feel about doing that? I'm just trying to get, and the reason I ask is not to delve into your personal life, but more for business owners who want to know what's, what's at the end of the day for me. You know, I spend all my time sacrificed for this business. How do, I, how do I have an exit to this? When does this end? And how do I do it in a way that I can capitalize? So I, I, already, I always had some, coal, uh, some goals for getting EBITDA to a certain place. I had goals mainly out of respect for my dad. I had a, a 
a digit number that I had in mind that I thought if I if I did a transaction at that space, um, I also um, when my mother and father passed away, they left me that amount, uh, a certain amount, and I had this personal goal that um, I wanted to leave each of my, I had three children, so I wanted to leave three times that much so I could pass that on. It was easier because, um, you know, um, when you make the decisions in advance, um, when they occur, they're a lot easier to pull the trigger. For example, the, the fee on the transaction, uh, the, the bank that I did it with was 16 days away, and if I would have waited 16 days, I wouldn't have had to pay them a fee. A fee. Wow. But uh, I gave them my word, and they did it, pulled it off in that time, and I, I didn't negotiate with them and you know hold them around, so I just embraced it. But I made up my mind I was going to do that. But letting it go at the right time, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure the stewardship was in place, the values are there. They lo- everybody loves the brand. I mean, I, I still own 20%, uh, so in different various forms and vehicles. Um, and uh, honestly, um, it's it's almost less stress and more fun. And I really don't want to leave because we're at yet another tipping point to where we're gonna we're gonna grow. You know, we've grown double digit for the last eight years. Um, and, and and you said it was fun and less stress more now. What's more fun about it? Uh, I don't, I don't, just the day-to-day stuff doesn't, doesn't wear on you as much. Um, I don't know, I can't really explain it. There's just like a kind of a feeling of peace. I know I've picked the right partners and we've got really, really great people. I've got great marketing operations. Uh, our CEO is top-notch and, uh, and they're all staying on board and we've groomed them to, to be part of this transition and so... No, it, it's it's really a so good ride. So it's something you, it just didn't happen out of the blue. This happened over a period of time. Yeah, I started intentionally eight, eight years ago. I started eight years ago, and then wow. five years I I started getting serious about it. And the last three years has been like a full time job in my back in my spare time. But uh, <laughs> I think that's interesting. I think it's important to recognize that as a as a business owner that you are that it's not just going to happen. Someone's not going to knock on your door, although I think people have knocked on your door through the years asking right. to buy the company. But to do it right, it takes the right time, the right partner, and it takes in t- an intentional effort. Yeah, and you, need, and you need to get some good financial advice because I, I've had friends over the years that, you know, I'm going to clear a million, two million dollars, and they, you know, they came over to my house and used my color copier so they could make a copy of the check. And I'm like, and they were out of money in nine months because a million or $2 million, uh, if you put in T-bills, is not spinning off anything. You're actually taking a cut and pay. So you have to figure out, you actually have to do, I started eight years ago doing my estate planning and uh, and where it would go. And, and I've set up enough to, I don't need insurance or anything like that, but it was all orchestrated. So I knew what the numbers have to be. But it's definitely not something you want to guess on. You want to be really well prepared. Right. So what is the greatest thing at, at the end of your career, whether that's in three to five years if you retire from this, what's your biggest takeaway from having run a company of this size and of this? It's an intimate company because as I watch you walk around in the halls here, call employees by name, they know you, you know them. Yeah. It is like a family. What do you take from this? What What is the mark on your life that this company has had? I think that the thing I'm most proud of is that we were always the best and we will always be the best. Um, 
that and just the way we conduct ourselves, the way we carry our brand, the way we carry our promises. Um, most companies would guess we're 10 to 15 times larger than we, they think we are. Um, but to that <laughs> point, but that, to that point, if you take a ladder that started in 1972 and it's just a one-trick pony, that should be kind of a niche, nice niche business for a long time. And, and presently, we're uh, getting ready to pass the second largest ladder company in the world, and we will take that spot. No desire to be the biggest because you have to build a lot of junk that goes with it, and they can have it. Right. But uh, the fact that that actually happened and uh, just what we've built and there's just the respect that the industry has for us. And um, I mean, I've had manufacturing arrangements on a handshake for 20 years. I've had uh, agreements in Australia and the U.K. on a handshake for 20 years. I mean, we started off with, uh, you know, an annual contract and it would evergreen and you'd sign again. And right. after about the fifth year, they're like, well, you don't play any games and we don't play, play any games. games. Why so do we have to do trust stupid paperwork? Other. And we just run with no paperwork. That's interesting. So one other thing, and you can't escape the Biz Sherpa podcast without answering this question. It's a tough one, probably the toughest one. What is your greatest failure that you experienced? And then what did you learn from it? The greatest failure that we learned is when we launched the infomercial in uh 2002, a wild success, so we had capital, and we decided we were gonna innovate and branch out, and we designed a, a line of beautiful, beautiful products. And then we went to market with them, and nobody bought any of them, because what we did was we built stuff that was cool to us. And so we basically... So you thought, hey, we, we, found, we came up with this cool ladder to awesome begin stuff. with, so yeah. yeah, we're gonna come up with something cooler. So we basically just took our lumps and took two years worth of R&D and all the money that went with it and just dumped it. And then what we did is we went out into the field and said, what are your pain points? And everything that we do, everything that we innovate, everything that has any mojo on it all, it, we use the voice of the customer. It solves their problem and then they just resonate with it really well and it takes off. And I think that's probably one of the greatest lessons you can learn. I mean. To demonstrate, you can demonstrate and wow anybody, but if it doesn't solve a problem, they're not going to buy anyway. They may be wowed by the demonstration, but if it solves a problem that they face on a regular basis, they're going to buy your product. And I think that's one of the hardest things to starting a business for business owners is they have a hard time trying to decide, I can't be all things to all people, but what can I be and where can I enter? Because I think it's the niche, and you mentioned it's a niche market. You yeah. might be the second becoming the second largest uh, ladder company, but you're still a niche yeah. ladder company. We just have a lot of niches. Yeah. But uh, I, and I, know, I know from your experience in real estate, you've done the same thing. You added value in it and you commanded more rent than the guy that's sitting right next to you. So yeah, we're able to do that. Um, and, and to your point, as far as pleasing everyone, you know, my dad also used to say that uh, there's, many, there's many paths to success, but one sure way to failure, and that is try to please everyone. So uh, just, just please the customers you've got and it'll grow. I think that's great. You know, one of the things that I take away from today, and I appreciate your time, this is, I mean, just to be sitting here in this studio is amazing to me. To know the history of this company and to see where you are today is a great commendation to your vision, your family's vision, and your commitment to product and safety and to the customers. And I think putting customers first is very important. The other thing that I love about um, things that you talked about today, is being able to have that vision and be able to carry it out. 
to be able to find people's pain point and be able to solve that for them because that really brings satisfaction. Yeah. Not just to them, but I'm sure to you. When you have people call you up going, hey, this week it saved this many lives or it helped this many people, that's probably more rewarding than the dollars that flowed into the bank. Yeah, if, if you're selling a commodity product or you're not adding any value, the only thing that moves the needle is price, and you will lose at that game. Um, if you have something that's innovative or you can add some more uh, uh, features or safety or whatnot, even with your real estate things, um, price kind of moves secondary. Right. And it's, right. it's a really, it sounds, it's, it sounds really small, but it's like a huge advantage when you can do that. Right. And the other thing I liked about what you said is your dad said you can sell them anything. You can, you can say anything you want, but you have to tell the truth. Right. And you know what? I think the truth resonates. And that's what I think really sells. When, you, when a customer can identify with your product and realize that, that, that you care about them, all of a sudden price does become secondary. Right. And I'm glad because it's a, it's a philosophy I've had most of my life, but boy, you've done it in a big way here, and I really appreciate that. Art, thanks for taking the time oh, my pleasure. to spend the afternoon with it's me. good to see you again. Yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful <laughs> to get to see you again. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. I'm glad you joined me today at Little Giant Ladder Systems. What a great company, what a great story, and I hope there's a lot for all of us to learn from this. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.